Welcome to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Don't Box Me In. I hope everyone is having a great week so far. Uh, you know, today I am very humbled to be speaking with my guest uh, because she spent years dedicating her life to the betterment of the community around her. And I must say there's not too many among us who would live such a selfless life. Activists are people who see a need for change, room for improvement, motivation on a large scale. They are people driven by passion, uh, keen to share facts that they want understood more widely and lead by a vision for a better future. Activism sometimes comes naturally, while others, it's something that is thrust upon them as a result of particular experiences or upon learning about something they passionately believe needs to be changed. Melba Gilkey, my guest today, is one who fits this definition well, and I am so glad to have her on the show today. Melba, welcome, welcome, welcome to Don't Box Me In today. Ah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank Wonderful you. introduction. Thank you for being here with me. So um, let's get started uh, in the beginning, um, Melba. You currently live in San Fernando Valley, California, but is that where you were born? Uh, yes. Uh, actually, I was um, born in Los Angeles, but um, we moved out here once I uh, started elementary school. We moved to the San Fernando Valley, and I grew up in Pacoima. Pacoima, okay. San Fernando, mm-hmm. Uh, um, and I'm I'm not going to try to get a date out of you, but I can say from <laughs> all, all my years in in Los Angeles and, and knowledge of the San Fernando Valley, it probably wasn't largely a, a black populated at that particular time. Or yes, um, actually in Pacoima it was. Okay. Um, uh-huh, um, San Fernando was more uh, Latino. Okay, okay. Uh, and well, uh, Mexican uh, then. Uh, okay. And the other cultures came in afterwards, and then the term Latino That's came about. And so you got you've been in San Fernando since elementary school. You've never moved anywhere else. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. We've been a lot to the San Fernando Valley when it was okay. um, developing. Okay. And you come from a large family, am I correct? Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and, and indeed. Um, we had 12 kids. Um, the, my mother had three kids when my father uh, got with her. And uh-huh. then uh, they went on to have um, nine of us. I'm the oldest of that nine uh, of my father's children. And the, was raised as the second mother in the home. You know, okay. so I had a lot more responsibilities than uh, my oldest sister. You know, she was kind of flaky, so my mother depended on me, even though I wasn't the oldest child in the home. Okay, so twelve all together. That's that's a lot of a lot of kids there, a lot of mouths to feed. Uh, can I yeah. ask, like, how how did mom and dad manage to make that happen? Well, um, my my mother didn't work; she just had kid after kid after kid, mm-hmm. but uh, she could make something out of nothing, and um, it made it interesting for us, even through the hard times. Um, um, 
she made it an event that we were having. You know, lights might be out. But we knew it as um, spooky storytelling night, you know? <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so she turned it <laughs> into a game. Having, yeah, we might be just having serpent bread uh, for dinner. But um, she made it a treat. Guess what we're doing tonight? Sort gotcha. of thing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So how did what, what did Dad do for a living? How was he since he was the only one working? How did he provide for the family? Mm-hmm. Dad was a janitor and um, uh, an amazing provider. He would uh, get jobs at places where um, they and they always loved him. And um, we grew up on hand-me-downs that customers and things would bring to him, knowing he had that many kids. And uh, he worked like Gilson's Market for years and years, where um, they would give him uh, uh, bruised produce or bent-up canned goods and things like that. Um, and and that's what we lived off of. At one point, he lived. He worked at a, a bakery. Uh, it's no longer in existence now, Dennis Park Bakery. But um, they used to bring us uh, uh, all kinds of pastries and cakes and bagels and uh, baked, baked breads. And those those types of things are the things that um, uh, we survived on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had to, he was always at work. So um, he worked his regular job. He worked a night job. And if he was off any of those days, he would work with a, a buddy of his that uh, uh, was a, a freelance going into spaces uh, as a janitor. You know, so yeah, uh, he he managed to manage. <laughs> I guess so. Worked a lot, so I guess it, it's safe to assume that it was hard to get some quality time in with Dad if he was always working, huh? Yes, um, but the only thing, you know, because sometimes he'd have maybe an hour between uh, times to go to the next job, and um, but somehow they had it where uh, when Dad came. He sat down to eat, and we'd help serve him or something. Um, Mom made the girls uh, 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 work all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and when uh, Dad came home, their time at the table, he seemed to be up on everything. So um, they kind of had a, this system where we communicated or my mother would communicate to him. So when my mom passed, we kind of didn't know how to communicate with him, you know. Um, that, that was back in the day when um, your mother could say, um, we don't knock it off, I'm going to tell your dad. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and that, for some reason, struck fear in our heart, and we get back in check. But, <laughs> and well, you know, now that I'm grown, I look back, I was like, what? Dad never whooped us. <laughs> you know, dad never <laughs> yelled doesn't... at us. Dad never scolded us. Or, you know, it's like, what was, uh... what, what was that about? Where was that, that fear coming from? Ooh. I'm going to be in trouble. Oh, no, don't tell Dad. So how many, many, break it down for me, how many brothers and sisters are there? Um, Well, I now have um, five brothers um, where I had six, but one has passed. And um, I have four sisters left. Um, One of my sisters um, that was older, that my mother had before getting with my dad died before I was born. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. so 
we only knew her by name and pictures. Mm-hmm. And um, from what I understand, she died uh, from worms. Okay, um, yeah. The the dying Easter the Easter eggs that year or something um, uh, caused the worms to convulse. But I understand that they had to take that particular dye off the market. It was uh, color eggs, and you bite into it, and it was white uh, and solid, sugary, like uh, Easter eggs. Um, But they were taken off years and years ago um, because I'm I'm now in my 60s and retired, and she passed before I was born. Oh, okay. Okay. And so you mentioned when you were talking about your dad that your mother passed. uh, When was that? Were you still at home at the time, or was it after you had left the house? Uh, well, I was married and gone and living in Northern California, and I talked to my mother the um, the night before, and um, that morning I got word that she had passed away in her sleep, and um, uh, it was a shock to all of us. My father heard someone knocking on the door, went to the door, and my uncle from Los Angeles was out here letting us know that our cousin in uh, Texas had been shot and killed. And mm-hmm. he looked around for my mother, who was is normally sitting up at the uh, table in the dining room drinking coffee, um, and found that she had gone out to the back house and uh, and laid down, and they, he couldn't wake her up. So oh. it was a um, it was a uh, Really, really uh, a shock to us. Uh, apparently, her heart had stopped. Um, she had uh, just been found to be uh, a diabetic, so I guess the diabetes had already uh, worked on uh, the vital organs, and that was the result. Uh, okay. Were that there was any quite a shock? Wow. Were there any kids still at home, or everybody was out the house by that time? Um, yes, actually, um, at that point. My younger sisters and brothers were still there, and they had already started uh, bringing. Uh, they had kids that they were bringing in on a, a parent, you know. So okay. my mother never really had a time without kids in her home. So she she went from having the kids in the house to having the grandkids in the house, huh? Yes, uh huh. <laughs> and our built-in babysitter. <laughs> yeah, mm. no time, no time to spare. So I'm assuming somewhere along the way. Dad got to enjoy a little bit of, of retirement or, or something, correct? Yes, uh-huh. um, uh, yes, he did. We had to kind of force him to retire by getting the doctor to um, say he shouldn't go back when he had what uh, appeared to be uh, a heart attack. Mm. Or, uh-huh. And he was already in his early 70s. So, okay. you know, he could have been retired so, so, so long ago, but he lived to be 93. Go years old, Go ahead, so that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I made about thirty years or something uh, uh, retired when he could have been working because he we really couldn't keep up with him. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they broke they broke the mold uh, on the older people uh, back in the day because his best friend lived to be a hundred and two years old. Wow! Who was a community activist that um, uh, kept us kids engaged. Yeah. Um, wow. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned yeah. um, you had gotten married and moved into Northern California. How How old were you when you got married? Um, I got married at 19, which 
I thought was extremely young then. But uh, growing up as the uh, second mother in the house uh, and, and responsible for the, my younger sisters and brothers, um, I kind of grew up with the idea, and, and part of it came from relatives that would visit, would say, oh, she's going to make someone such a wonderful wife, <laughs> you know, oh, she's going to be such a wonderful mother mm-hmm. uh, someday and stuff. And somehow that kind of pro- program that after I get out of high school, that that's kind of what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that came from. Nobody strategically said you should get married right after you get out of high school or anything like that. It's just uh-huh. that and when he asked me, that seemed to be uh, the, the thing to do. And I knew my husband, elementary, junior high, high school. He went from um, being the kid on in elementary that used to run and knock me down and stuff, <laughs> pester me, to, uh, to having him hang around with uh, 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 my sister and I and my cousins that were our same age. Um, and he had a crush on my cousin, you know, oh. and he went, and you know, at that point it was like, why does that creep keep hanging around? <laughs> 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 and then, uh, he went to a different junior high. He went back up in, um, um, high school. Um, and, um, you know, he was one of the school jocks okay. and, uh, we were girl jocks. We were uh, very athletic and and uh, talented, creative, uh, in creative dancing and stuff. And and um, this popular jock all of a sudden became appealing to me. Uh-huh. Uh, and you and looked at him twice, he, huh? Yeah, uh, but when he started coming at me and everything, the, the whole view and everything changed of him. So you know, okay, so first marriage, uh, you know, first boyfriend, first date. You know, huh? oh, wow. yeah, first marriage, first man, man, you know, first childbirth, mm-hmm. everything was done with him. Okay. Still but, um, well, we did the divorce after. Okay. So you years, were we only stayed, to, we only stayed together for five. Oh, okay. So you, you were married for five and then it, it you didn't divorce until 23 years after you got married? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, we stayed, uh, separated. Okay. And uh, finally, he wanted to get married uh, again, so that's uh, why we just went on with the divorce. Oh, I see. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay, Melba. Well, right now, uh, it's time for my first break, uh, but when we uh, come back, I'm going to talk more about uh, your life in Northern California and some changes that happened for you after that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. I am speaking with Melba uh, Gilkey today. And uh, before the break, we were talking about, uh, let's see, she was recently married at 19 and moved to Northern California. Uh, Melba, what prompted you and the husband to go to Northern California? Well, um... Actually, that was after uh, my husband and I had separated. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, when, uh, uh, when we were married, uh, he was in the military, and we uh, moved to Omaha, Nebraska. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where my first son was born, okay. Omaha, Nebraska. And then he uh, he was redeployed uh, to uh, Vietnam, and I came back home. And uh, when I came home the next day, we had the San Fernando, uh, or actually it's the Somar earthquake. Mm-hmm. So it was a traumatic, <laughs> yeah. uh, traumatic yeah. return, plus your husband going to uh, Vietnam. And I kind of did so, a transition into a uh, very uh, uh, militant uh, towards the, uh, the war issue. Okay, and very so active. Let, let me see if let me get my time right. So the first son was born. Um, husband is in Vietnam. Is this around the sixties? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, my son was born in sixty-seven. Uh, okay. Excuse me, sixty-seven. <laughs> Sixty-nine. <laughs> Oh my! Oh my, my year! My year! Sixty-nine is my year. I was born in, in sixty-nine. Oh, okay. my oldest son is your age then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I'm sure you're you're, you're, a, you're no older than twenty-five though. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm sick of that. Sorry, <laughs> they're my brothers now. <laughs> my sons are in their thirties and forties. Okay. Yeah. Um, in the sixties, uh, John F. Kennedy was uh, one of these uh, one of the nation's favorite. Presidents, yeah. and yeah. in the '60s, you became you became involved in uh, one of his campaigns. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Um, well, one of the neighborhood, my father's best friend um, uh, that I spoke of, her name was Ida Kinney. Uh, we called her Miss Perry because that was her husband's first name. Mm-hmm. But um, she was. Uh, um, highly involved in so many things in the community and mm-hmm. uh, she used to come and get us and take us out so what we were doing were, was trying to promote uh, trying to, to get the community to vote for uh, Kennedy and also on that ticket was um, uh, Proposition 13 I believe it was the number maybe 14, but it was the fair housing uh, law that they were mm-hmm. trying to get in at times. And um, that's how we started. We would go with her to um, the campaign office, and we would canvas door to door. We would um, put out the signs, you know, talk people into letting us put the sign in their yard, things like that. Um, but we were very young, and... Um, most people didn't or were surprised that there were um, two young kids. My my sister is <laughs> younger than myself, and I standing there uh, <laughs> talking to them to vote. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, a, a lot of times we went to homes where they were only Spanish speaking, but they would bow their head. Oh, Kennedy, Kennedy, and know. <laughs> and okay to take the um, the materials. Yeah, you know, like I said, Ed Kennedy was—he's one of our pretty popular presidents over time. I think everybody, uh, the majority of people, really loved what he stood for. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And um, before I uh, move forward to my next question, just bear with me. I just want to give a brief historical uh, blurb, real quick. Uh, but on August seventh, nineteen seventy. 
there was a 17-year-old black male who entered a courtroom in California and took a judge, prosecutor, and three female jurors hostage, hostage. in his efforts to yeah hostage in uh, in efforts to free two black convicts on trial. And uh, in the scuffle between the police and the hostage taker, the judge, one of the jurors, and the prosecutor, and all three black men were killed. It was later found out that political act Angela Davis had purchased the weapons that were used in this hostage takeover and on August 14th 1970 a warrant was issued for her arrest and then on August 18th four days later uh, J. Edgar Fulver placed her on FBI's 10 most wanted fugitive fugitive list uh, she was finally captured on October 13th 1970 and appeared in court on January 5th, 1971, where she entered a no guilty plea. Across the nation and even internationally, thousands supported her, her in spirit and financially. And Melba, you two were one of the ones who got involved with the Free Angela Davis movement. Can you tell me how yes. that happened? Um, again, through Miss um, um, Kinney um, mm-hmm. was how we got involved, but by then, um, I was very active while my son was, uh, while my husband was in the military, uh, very pro-war, uh-huh. and I got out there in all the different rallies, and Miss Kenny drew us into the Angela Davis, pre uh, uh, Angela Davis movement. Even though um, we didn't condone some of the things that she was. She allegedly was involved with. Uh, uh, Ms. Kenny was a uh, professor at Cal State Northridge, and, and we came from the perspective that she was a teacher, and um, they were going against her because they felt she was uh, uh, teaching uh, communists mm-hmm. uh, and, and that she was uh, communist-oriented. And... Um, that they didn't have proof for some of the things that um, they were saying she was doing and had a vendetta out mm-hmm. for her. Um, and w- some of the, um, one of the rallies that we did in uh, North Hills uh, was at um, a space that embraced everything. But when we had a fundraiser there, it was the Jewish people that were all there. The only blacks were organizers of this event and they were wholeheartedly given money very generously mm-hmm. and uh, what they were saying is that if they can ramrod uh, this woman for her beliefs um, we're going to be next I mean sure. that that's verbally what they would say to us my sister and I when they would give us envelopes of money and everything to take back to the table where the organizers were uh, counting it up and stuff during the event. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. And um, even though I followed all of that and thoroughly believed in it and was passionate um, uh, about it, um, once she kind of, once it was all over, I felt that she should be still out in the community more. I understand that she lives uh, back east now and is not politically active, but um, I, I just feel that she should be 
out in the community and still active and um, more involved. still more involved. Uh, yes, because people from all over the world got behind her on that and um, I, and, I and think, never judged her. Yeah, I think what happened um, after she was found not guilty, she went to Cuba for a while, if I'm remembering correctly and then she did begin to teaching it because originally she was teaching at my alma mater UCLA and I guess that's what started yeah. to get her in trouble because she was starting uh, like you said she started to speak on um, a lot of communist uh, what people felt were communist theories uh, and then uh, yeah. after all of that she kind of went off to Cuba and uh, I do believe she was at I want to say Harvard or somewhere yeah, teaching maybe in the last 10 years or so, but there's a lot of people who said that they wish she would have been more active in the community after everybody, so many people, fought and supported her uh, and what she was going through. So you, uh, you you express a common common theme there. Yes, and um, after they found her not guilty, um, there is a, a politician here locally that um, was the, the, the candidate but under the ruling of Angela Davis is what mm-hmm. we were told. Um, so uh, uh, behind the scenes um, um, politician, I guess you might say. Um, gotcha. But I, I thought she should come to the forefront. Um, and you know, because I still, I, I still very much admire her. Uh, mm-hmm. Very intelligent woman and very impressive. And. Um, being uh, into freedom of speech, um, I would I would have uh, totally thrown myself behind anything else she would have ever gotten uh, involved in. And, and about I would how like old to, were you? How old were you when you were involved with this particular movement? Um, I guess in my early twenties. Okay. Yeah, because uh-huh. my my husband was in uh, still in the military then. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what, Melba, we're going to take uh, our second break of the day, but uh, stay tuned. I got more to discuss with you right after this. All right. <laughs> Let's return to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, I've been having a couple history lessons here with Melba. Uh, before the break, we were talking about her work with the uh, Free Angela Davis uh, movement uh, that took place back in the 70s. And uh, Melba, you were also mentioning at this particular time, you were in your early 20s. Um, you had your first son at that particular time, um, and your husband was in Vietnam. Is that how you uh, became involved uh, with some of the peace rallies that were also taking place at that time? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, actually, it, it, it kind of started off as a rebellion against him going to Vietnam. I was very anti-war, and mm-hmm. he was very establishment, and I wanted to go um, uh, career military, um, which he didn't, or I'd have been gone as soon as he got back. But <laughs> when he returned, uh, <laughs> we were two totally, totally different people. But um, my motivation uh, and, 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 the, and the hate for war built and built 
during my hippie, um, hippie era, mm-hmm. you know, and um, with Miss Perry really uh, close and involved with our family, um, the, the different um, political uh, uh, marches and, and, and events and, and, and things were constantly there, mm-hmm. you know, and so we had access to all that type of thing and all those types of views and thoughts and and people that we would have never been exposed to. Um, at one point, uh, we were doing a, a, a rally in Oceanside, uh, California, and the military base had just been robbed of uh, uh, weapons. Mm. And so they had, at the rally... It was infiltrated with um, undercover and and riots. Uh, I don't know for sure what they all were doing, but a petition was passed um, during that event all over the the beach where we were during the rally. And um, later, when my husband said an officer brought him in and... um, Talk to him about what his wife is doing. Oh. Crazy. Um, and I know I never told him. You know, <laughs> I, I was pissed and I was really writing. Uh, so, <laughs> so when he told me that happened and, and, um, told me the different things that I was doing, I knew he was telling the truth that somebody was monitoring what I was doing and I was, absolutely a, a, a nobody um, mm-hmm. so nowadays when I hear that they're talking about uh, monitoring calls or uh, mm-hmm. investigating the, the general community and, and things like that I thoroughly believe that mm-hmm. because you know I I wasn't one of the heads of those uh, rallies or, or, or I, I helped to organize and, and, and things like that because that's what I do, I help others. You know, mm-hmm. that's who I am. But uh, uh, no one to be of danger to be investigated or anything. And mm-hmm. why would they go to my military uh, husband and ask him questions uh, on, on my activities? Mm-hmm. He didn't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> mm-hmm. so um, <laughs> I won't sign any other um, uh, petition because that had to be where they got any information on me. Okay. So how did your your husband react? I mean, when he, you know, he has a conversation with his superiors, you know, hey, your wife is involved in, you know, this and that, and it definitely goes against the grain of our platform. I mean, what was the conversation like at home between the two of you? Uh, Well, there he kind of didn't take it um, too seriously because they weren't telling him like they were investigated. It, it was done in a general conversation with his, um, uh, uh, his higher-up. Mm-hmm. But uh, when he got home and found out what I was doing and what I was involved in and things, he was furious. And by the time he got back, we were two totally different people. Um, we basically were outgrowing each other, um, but we stayed together, but the viewpoints were totally, totally different. Um, um, 
and then and then and, you know with two different people. Um, okay. And once I once we separated, I realized I had pretty much lost my identity in 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 the marriage, okay. um, and I hadn't fully developed or uh, identified who I am as a person. So I was a little lost when we did separate. So we have I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> I understand. I understand. So at this point, though, we've only discussed one son. Is did you only have one son with your husband? Yes, uh-huh. and then eight years later, and outside of uh, marriage, uh-huh. um, I had another son. You know, when I was married, it was like, oh no, you know, I'm not going to be one of them women with a bunch of kids uh, and don't know who the father is. <laughs> Real judgmental. <laughs> and then, and then eight years later, you know, uh, that's disaster, you know, with the poop. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he tells me, yo, uh, sir, but your flu is due in about eight months. Oh my. You know, so I. <laughs> Uh, you know, which is exaggerated, but that's what he told me. No, you're pregnant. Oh, uh, eight years later. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's that's another son or a daughter or son. Mm-hmm. Okay. To have uh, so you, two sons. So you have two boys. Okay. And um, let me ask you this: Now that we've talked about all these years that you spent. Um, working in the community and, and different things that were going on in, in your lifetime. When you look at today's generation um, of young black youth, do you feel that they're as aware of what's going on around them? Um, or you think, do not you think they're carrying all. on the fight still? Okay. Um, not and at else? all. And I live in San Fernando, and um, um, it's kind of like living in Mexico because we're inundated with... Uh, Latino activities and and culture and and uh, interests and, and history. Um, so it would probably be different if I was in L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here um, uh, in our community, they won't even admit that there's um, an issue between the blacks and the Latinos. And whenever, because I'm the black face that's out there among them all the time, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and all in the business that's going on in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they've come up and asked me things like, where are, where are the blacks, Mama Hayes? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm known as Mama Hayes. I'm DJ Hayes, my oldest son's mm-hmm. mother, so they just started calling me Mama Hayes. Um, and um, well, with a youth organization, it's the, 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 the blacks kind of isolate themselves. And uh, I've asked about that. Because when I'm mm-hmm. talking to Latinos and they're asking me, we're the blacks because we're uh, uh, rallying or something in the community or uh, doing a community garden or uh, any of the activities that are going on, they're looking around, where are the, uh, where are the blacks? Mm-hmm. But uh, um, when I'm with the blacks, they're like, uh, we don't care, you know. <laughs> well, you know, we're... we're we started, it's, it's kind of like they're preaching to the choir when they talk to uh, us about uh, uh, how uh, disadvantaged they are or how uh, uh, discriminated against and and all this kind of thing. Talk, they're 
um, they're referring to as far as immigration and stuff. But um, and but yet they're adapting our culture constantly. So blacks have created their own culture. We've mm-hmm. made up everything, yes. everything. You know, so when others emulate it, when it gets thoroughly out in into our uh, surroundings and culture, we move on to something else. Well, mm-hmm. the the youth nowadays, whereas my generation was fighting to be recognized as people and equals, they don't care. The new generation says they, you know, I don't want to be like them, you know. We're different mm-hmm. that, oh, well, you know, um, you know, forget that. I'm, I'm not going to even try. You're not going to get it anyway. Uh, well, I'm not bilingual, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that type of thing ex- ex- exists, and I can't get um, the youth to really uh, join in the same um, issues together, okay. you know, and I, I really feel like our black youth have uh, totally given up and withdrawn. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess maybe that some of us feel there's no more battle to fight. We're, we've arrived. We're at the destination. Yes, uh, a, a lot of people do, uh, uh, um, including myself. I, and I think you just um, take it for granted that those things that were fought for are happening and because it's better today than back in the day. Um, but I'll, I'll give you an example of um, something that happened to me that made me look at me and who I am uh, was when uh, those parts died. Mm-hmm. And we started revisiting her uh, situation on, on that bus. And I was on the bus and had been on the bus for years at that point. Um, and once I start revisiting the past and her experience and, and, and what our um, ancestors as blacks had gone through, um, it was different climbing on that bus um, mm-hmm. the next morning and realizing, you know, I'm being pushed aside. I'm, um, I'm having people put stuff beside the seat uh, where I... They want to ride their purse, but they're upset when they have to move it and put it on their lap so I can sit down. Mm. You know, they're stepping all on your feet and 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 and, and, and squeezing you up and 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 um, they're knocking you over, trying to get out the uh, the door and stuff of a crowded bus. Um, and no excuse me is or anything like that. And mm. it really hadn't bothered me and I hadn't noticed it before and um, it, it just had become the, how it is getting on the bus mm-hmm. you know but after uh, revisiting what Rosa Park had gone through I realized wow this this is a level of disrespect maybe their culture mm-hmm. doesn't say excuse me or something but uh, you do something and I'll just <laughs> step to the right and you can go past you know mm-hmm. but when you see my back is turned and you're coming up and you're just going to push me over almost into the lap of the person sitting there so that you can uh, uh, get off the bus there's something wrong with that 
You know, I also was sitting at a table with uh, at a, a space called Tia Chuchas. They're very uh, conscious. It's a bookstore mm-hmm. uh, here in our community, and everybody at that table were heavyweight. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there were uh, uh, groups from Los Angeles that were um, the African movement uh, uh, organization. It was. Um, the, the, the gentleman in our community that had uh, start, started the uh, 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 Latino studies uh, in uh, uh, Cal State Northridge. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there were the, the indigenous there. Uh, there was a woman there from uh, the Blackfoot Indians representing um, black, black Indians. Um, there were Aztec Indians there, um, speaking on the, uh, indigenous peoples and how, uh, uh, the, the, the relations to other people. Um, and when, and so the bottom line, when they got to me, we were often at the table and it got silent. And then, you know, so I, I looked up, I had been listening, but I didn't realize that they were, uh, they had interviewed the, the person uh, next to me that they expected me to talk as well. Um, and so when I looked up, I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> what, do, what, do, what do I say? These people are heavyweight. Said, yeah. You know, the, 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 the organizer of it is, uh, is um, uh, Luis Rodriguez, who okay. his books uh, uh, are, are required reading in uh, Latino studies. And yes. things, and um, when it came to me, there I am sitting there. I, I got this uh, African material tied on my head, like a, but a, but it's tied like a turban. You know, I have my uh, 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 kung fu type blouse on. You know, I have my moccasins <laughs> on. I have my <laughs> uh, graffiti print skirt. You know, if you can imagine all this. Uh, Strange look here, you know. I'm a little mm-hmm. bit of everything sitting there, and realized at that moment, you know, because I was just trying to open my tamale. <laughs> <laughs> Mel, <laughs> I don't. Mel, I don't mean to cut you off, but I got to take my last break of the day, and when we come back, we're going to finish the story, and I want to talk about the Hase Hip Hop Hip Hop Cultural Dream Center that you got going on now. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Don't Box Me In on TalkZone.com. Here's Lana Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I have been speaking with Melba, a.k.a. Mama Hayes. And, you know, this last little uh, segment that I have or time that I have, Melba, I want to talk about what you're doing now, some of the things you're doing. And one of those is the Hayes Hip Hop Culture Dream Center there in uh, let me clarify, East San Fernando Valley, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. And you co-founded that with uh, your My, your son's son. Uh huh. Yes. Um, okay. Well, what what is do there? Um, it became a, a nonprofit organization in two thousand and one. Um, but okay. They've been doing. Um, Hayes has been 
it started off with his friends gathering in the the, the yard uh, when um, Greg Dance uh, first started here on the West Coast, and he mm-hmm. when he got interested in it, he was about thirteen years old, um, and um, I would wash dishes and wash them outside the kitchen window. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, um, that went on and on for years, and this name street name changed from Flash of Flash and Crew uh, to uh, uh, DJ Hamburger's Helper because he helped his <laughs> uncle who was a DJ name um, <laughs> that they call the Burger. <laughs> um, and uh, so with him helping his uncle he got that name. And then um, Arista changed his name to Hayes, the Hazel Eyed Brother. Because uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he was one of the, at 15, he was uh, one of the first mix masters mm-hmm. uh, on uh, K Day, the original K Day. I remember 1580 K Day. That was uh, college days. Uh, KAM. Yep, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> um, well um, uh, he was one of the youngest mix, mix masters masters on the, the radio during that time and um, and and then he went into techno music um, and that's when uh, the name Hayes, the Hazelite brother was what um, Erisa uh, called him and, and they were built as the number one underground uh, rave group in the US okay. you know uh-huh. um, so that kept him busy and, and, and overseas a lot. Okay. And uh, his youngest brother and I had uh, met with him when he was here one of the times and found out all the stuff that he does, which is actually um, different uh, parts of the hip-hop culture elements. Uh, uh-huh. the, 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 he was involved in the music and the art and the DJing and MC and dancer and stuff. So we decided we were going to put everything together a little enterprise called CG Enterprise, mm-hmm. but later uh, my son, uh, the youngest son, was able. Looked up while he was in um, San Francisco and saw that on the building, which didn't identify what the building was doing. But we hadn't found any problem with that name online. So when he came back and told us that, we had to regroup and and uh, choose another name. When we talked okay. to Hayes, he. Uh, he didn't want his name um, into into it, but uh, we're called the Hayes Hip Hop Culture Dream Center because I like uh, um, a name for a business to demonstrate uh, or give an idea of what you're about. Um, so that's that's where we came up with that name, and um, he had told us that he was already in the process of becoming a nonprofit. So I just followed through on that, and. Uh, when we became a, 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 a nonprofit, he called in uh, a lot of what they call the old school heads mm-hmm. um, uh, that are deeply rooted in the culture, and um, they came happy and willing to help us launch it. And we didn't put out a flyer or anything. And the first day, we had twenty three kids there wow. to 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 work with and. So what, what actually do you guys do everything. there? Um, 
Well, our, our mission was to bring youth into an environment that would embrace their culture. So um, we have um, skaters and things there, too. But um, I wanted it to be in it. Uh, let me back up. What I saw was that um, a, a lot of the kids were being missed or they're often marginalized um, because they, they weren't kids that were in the juvenile justice system. But they're not the honor students either that ever received any accolades or anything. You know, um, they're art-oriented. They're creative, you know, and, 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 and talented. Um, but they're being totally missed by uh, so many different organizations and groups and things that weren't addressing what their interests were. So um, I had seen how it had uh, helped my son stay on track and have passion and uh, stay focused and uh, have dreams and and things like that. So once we started, uh, one of the youth that I had watched grow up in our yard, once they stopped uh, uh, being able to break dance uh, in the malls and on the streets and in front of businesses and and in the clubs and all that, uh, he had kind of, uh, this gentleman had taken his life in a different direction, living in the projects. He got caught up in the gang and the drugs thing and had almost lost his family and things. So once his son started acting up in, in junior high, Hayes had just uh, formed a nonprofit. And so he walked in there with his two boys uh, at tow, holding their hands. And he told me who who he was, and I'm like, oh, my God, you know. <laughs> I used to watch him dance, break dance, and, and pop and lock and stuff while I washed dishes. Um, and he had told me about his situation with his uh, family. And uh, he was back with them, and he was determined he wasn't going to lose his boys. And one of them had already named his name, himself Devious, and had been acting out and things. Um, well, um, everybody there, the old school uh, uh, heads, as they call them, or OGs, uh, took them under their wing and uh, trained them. Now they're monsters in the culture uh, and, and leaders. Um but we had to do things like when it, we heard, uh, well, Hayes heard that one of them was ditching, devious. Um, they had to run up on him in, on the street and march mm-hmm. him back into the school and stuff. And organizations just don't have that kind of time, and they don't monitor them. Once they leave their center, it, it's, it's over. And they don't grow up at that place mm-hmm. like they do at the Hayes Center. So you guys take the you extra know. step there. Yes, um, um, and because it is a, a culture, and we don't mind being underground or still looked at as grassroots, uh, even though what we do is enhance other organizations. We really need our own building so that we can have all the elements cranking at the same time, uh, which is the arts and the, the music and the dance. But we also have uh, resources because some of those uh, young men didn't even know what college was about. They thought they, no, no, I, I barely got out of high school. I ain't trying to go back to school, you know. <laughs> uh, and, they, and they thought, you know, that it was going to be eight classes, uh, you know, they had to take. And 
and blah blah blah. And then they were really really shocked to find out that uh, no, they 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 rule. They can go to college and take one class if they want to, and you know it's on them whether or not they're working towards uh, going to a major university or something. Uh, they were in shock. The first time the city gave them a certificate, you should have saw them. They were like gremlins. You know, the the, the, the head head team leader was very, very impressive if you were to meet him and and speak very eloquently. You wouldn't, but if he walked in, you'd think he's uh, a true hip-hop head with his tango broke down and, you know, his Mm -hmm. walk and... And mannerism, um, um, but he was the first one I gave the certificate, and it was his job to the others. So um, oh. the others, I um, I was Melba? busy at my desk. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I am so sorry, Melba. You know my hours go so fast. I'm I'm at the end of this hour here, but before I leave, okay. I want to make sure that people have a way to um, you know get in touch with you if they want to get involved with the uh, Hip Hop okay. Culture Center. So could you give us some contact information? Yes. Um, um, they can feel free to call me at 818-941-7148. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We're located in the city of San Fernando and we serve the San Fernando Valley. Uh, or they can email me at okay. m e l b a g zero zero one at a o l dot com. All righty, and I'm gonna have to have you back on because I didn't get a chance to finish with everything that you're doing now, and I and I hate that uh, my time just moves so fast. Uh, but I want to yeah, say when I grow up, I want to. <laughs> I'm going to be so long. That's why I had all that stuff. Okay, but uh, when I grow up, I'm a, I want to be just like you. I wish you much success, and I uh, hope you continue to fight the good fight. And I thank you so much for making time for me today. Thanks for honoring me on your show I, uh, by interviewing me. Thank you very much. Oh, that's my pleasure, my pleasure. That's all for this week's show. Until next time, I look forward to connecting with you.